You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Student Minister Sam Oldland. Hi everyone. Um, so our Bible reading for today is 1 Peter 3 verse 8 to 22 um, and it's on page 981 in your pew Bibles or on your preferred app. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander for it is better if God's will to suffer for doing good than doing e- for is better if God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil for God for Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit After being made alive, he went and made proclamation for the imprisoned spirits to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Hey, it's awesome to be with you guys. Uh, Like Kirk said, my name's Sam. This is an amazing part of the Bible. I'm really excited to explore this together this evening. So if you haven't yet, um, please grab one of these Bibles from the bench in front of you and have that open there. I have a a mate who's a pastor in a, a different denomination in Melbourne. And he's really passionate about caring for vulnerable people. He has been for a long time. He supported for a long time a refuge home for teenagers who are at risk. And one of the older teenage boys in this refuge home was coming to the end of the time where he could stay there. But he, he had nowhere to go. He was going to be out on the street. So my friend agreed when this refuge home asked if he would provide a home for this boy to live. He went through the accreditation process to become a carer and prepared his home to keep this young guy off the streets. And then the boy's social worker found out on a form that he was a Christian pastor. She was furious 
she immediately cancelled the care arrangement. She threatened legal action against my friend and against his church because, she said, of the heightened risk of sexual abuse. Suddenly he was taking phone calls from lawyers. The social worker was bullying him and bullying the boy. He had to withdraw from being a carer and the boy ended up on the street. And he he said to me, I was trying to do something good and it ended up just messy and painful. I, I suffered for it. He tried to do something good and he just ended up suffering for it. How can you reconcile that? How can you hold those together? What could I have said to my friend? Well, I didn't think of it then, but I could have comforted him. I could have reassured him with words from this passage from 1 Peter chapter 3. This is an amazing and a timely piece of scripture, teaching us about suffering for doing good. Suffering for doing good. If you're new, you're very welcome and you've joined us partway through this series in 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter has been writing to God's people across the world and to us, God's people, vulnerable and scattered yet united by their living hope in Jesus Christ. God's calling them, is calling us to live such good lives among the people around us that they see our lives and they see Jesus in us. This life which Peter describes, the Christian life, is the best life that anyone can live. It's life to the full. It's life with deep meaning and joy and purpose. But it's not always a life that's easy. And that's where... Peter turns tonight. Peter picks up a handful of the different strands, the different ideas that he's been bringing out in his letter so far. That the church is living hope and their exile waiting in the worlds, their holiness together, suffering of Christ. And he weaves these threads together into this key lesson for them, this key lesson for us. As they face the prospect of suffering for doing good. When Christians suffer for doing good, Peter says three things happen. We are blessed, we exercise hope, and we participate with Christ. We are blessed, we exercise hope, and we participate with Christ. That's how we're going to work through our passage this evening. So first, when you suffer for doing good. When you repay evil with blessing, you are blessed. Have a look at verse 9 in front of you there. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Repay evil with blessing. That is, continue to do good even when you suffer for it. Continue to do good even to the very ones who are making you suffer. And that's a, that's a strange command, isn't it? That's a strange thing to tell people to do. It doesn't make any sense by our social norms, by evolutionary theory, by our kind of basic human instinct. 
to respond to people doing evil to us by blessing them. That's a, that's a weird thing to do. But it's, it's grace, isn't it? That's the grace that God's shown to us, and so it's the grace that we show to everyone else. And what happens if you live this life and repay evil with blessing? You are blessed. We repay evil with blessing in order that we may inherit a blessing, Peter says. It's an inheritance kept for us in heaven, which can never perish, never spoil, never fade. For which we wait until the day Jesus Christ returns. It's a future blessing. But it's not only a future blessing, it's a blessing now as well. When you repay evil with blessing, when you love your enemies, you're blessed in this life. Because, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But, but what does it look like to be blessed when you suffer? What does it look like to be blessed when you suffer for doing good? It's hard to picture that, isn't it? When my friend, the pastor, is under attack for trying to do good, how is he being blessed? If people hate on you for trying to share your faith with them, how is that being blessed? Well, I often fall into this trap, the hashtag blessed trap. Uh, I'm sure lots of us here fall into this trap. What we do is we fall into the trap of seeing blessed as equivalent to happy or maybe fortunate. When we come back from our backpacking trip to Europe, we say, oh, hashtag blessed to have travelled Europe. Right? On my best friend's birthday, I say, hashtag blessed to have this best friend. On Father's Day, we say, hashtag blessed to have the best dad in the world. If that's what I think it means to be blessed, I need my deep understanding, my heart changed. Because blessing isn't a state of material ease or being fortunate. It's a state of God's approval and care for me. Think about who does Jesus call blessed? Remember those words? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. The ones who cry out for and experience God's comfort. The ones who imitate Christ. The ones who long for heaven. They are blessed. Suffering makes us long for an end to suffering, doesn't it? It makes us long for heaven where suffering is no more. And when we long for heaven, we live for heaven. When we suffer and so we long for heaven, that's when we live, like Peter says, as strangers in the world. That's when we live with different values and hearts and lifestyles to the people around us. God uses suffering to bless us, to give us hope for heaven. 
And this is the second thing that happens when Christians suffer for doing good. We exercise hope. It's hope that empowers believers to live like this. Hope in the never-perishing, never-spoiling, never-fading inheritance that awaits us. That's a living hope which longs for the return of Jesus to prove that all our struggle and our suffering has been worth it. Hope for the future is a really strong motivator for us, isn't it? You might be hoping for six-pack abs or any abs, and so you take a gym membership and you go hard, even though it's the worst part of your week and you feel like vomiting every time because of that hope that you have for the future. You might be hoping for a promotion, and so you make sure that your boss sees your best work and you're always punctual and polite because of that hope that you have. You might be hoping that someone here in the room is going to ask you out one day, and so you make sure that you always sit somewhere in church where they can see you. You keep bumping into each other during supper after church. You might be hoping for a palmer at your Father's Day dinner tonight after church, and so you keep checking your watch, waiting to see how long the sermon's going to go so you can go and get your good feed. We hope for lots of things, but, but Christian hope, living hope, is, is different to that. It's certain. It's sure. And it transforms the way that we live because of what we hope for. And hope's a really strong motivator for Peter in his letter. If you, if you flick through your Bible back to one of Paul's letters, like Romans or Galatians, and you see him talk about the Christian life, you'll see that for him, faith is central to following Jesus. Being, the, the Christian life is a life of faith. And then if you flick to one of John's letters, you'll see that for him, love is central to the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of love. But for Peter here, writing to a bunch of Christians in the mid-60s AD who were starting to be persecuted for their faith, who were being kicked out of their homes, who were being marginalised, who were watching the Roman Empire turn against them, for them, the Christian life is a life of hope. In every chapter of his letter, Peter reminds believers of the hope that is theirs for the future when Jesus comes back. Hope is the strong rock to which they will have to cling as wave after wave of persecution and suffering and confusion sweep over them. And as each wave tries to tear loose their grip and lifts them off their feet, at the same time it lifts them to see their rescue beyond the waves, their victory, Jesus' return. It's a living hope which sustains them as they wait desperately for Jesus. You know, I wonder how much Australian Christians have needed that kind of hope. I wonder if Australian Christians have really needed hope for the future when the Australian good life and the Christian good life pretty much look like the same thing. When being Christian was a social norm or an advantage even. Australian Christians didn't really used to need to long for the future because the present was pretty good. 
But I tell you, that is not the story that our brother in Iraq or our sister in Nigeria tells. And it won't be the story that our kids tell either. That was the calm before the storm. And you and I, in our generation, if we don't equip our children with gospel hope, live ourselves with gospel hope, not just looking back at the cross, but looking forward to Jesus' return, we'll be dashed against the rocks. Christian parents, what have you taught your kids about the future? Are you teaching them hope which will sustain them through the life that they will live, through the disrespect and the alienation that they will experience for following Jesus? If you have teenage kids, are you equipping them to stand firm in their faith and repay evil with blessing when they're taunted at school for their faith? I think by the time that I'm an old man, the church will have either rediscovered this kind of desperate, longing hope or it will have been swept away and drowned. Peter knows that these Christians need hope, that we need hope if we're going to suffer for doing good and still say Jesus is Lord. Christian hope is a great comfort against fear, a deep source of joy in sorrow, a strong assurance amid confusion. And so, he says in verse 14, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. When you suffer for doing good, you exercise Christian hope as a comfort against fear. And that kind of hope is hope that people see. Peter urges his readers, have a look at verse 15. He says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He expects that if Christians live with the kind of hope which keeps them from fear, the kind of hope which says Christ is Lord, which inspires them to repay evil with blessing, then people will want to know about that hope because it doesn't make sense. It's completely counterintuitive. You know, I've seen a friend of mine live this out in her workplace. She was working in a team for a boss who... Out, let's say, gave her lots of opportunities to repay evil with blessing. He was a, a harsh and controlling boss. And she worked really hard to treat him with, with respect and with grace. When no one else was, she treated him with respect and with grace. I don't think my friend could have quoted these verses to you, but she'd resolved that if she was going to suffer at the hands of her boss, she would suffer for doing good, not for doing evil. And you know what? Two of her colleagues asked if they could come to church with her without any prompting. One of those friends, she told me, saw what the follower, followers of Jesus was like in their community. They heard the message of the gospel and they decided they wanted to be part of that. They wanted that hope. They wanted that life. They wanted to know that Jesus. They became a Christian. And that happened because my friend had chosen to repay evil with blessing. People see Christian lives. 
And not just nice, polite, law-abiding lives, but different, countercultural, repaying evil with blessing, grace-like-Jesus kind of lives. Those lives are deeply attractive. And they're deeply attractive because they point to Jesus. You don't even have to look as far as that for an illustration of this kind of hope that Peter's talking about. He can write this with such confidence because this has happened in his own life. In Acts, the story of the early church, Peter's the leader of the church and he's locked up for his faith. He's suffering, he's being persecuted. And he witnesses the gospel to those who are persecuting him, the very ones who are locking him up. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Oh, man, I wish that was written about me, don't you? When they saw that he was an unschooled, ordinary man, they were astonished and they took note that he had been with Jesus. When we suffer for doing good, we exercise Christian hope. It's a comfort against fear, and it's a witness to those who persecute us. So when a Christian suffers for doing good, we are blessed. When a Christian suffers for doing good, we exercise hope. And when a Christian suffers for doing good, we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Have a look at verse 18 in your Bible. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now, I have to admit, the rest of the passage from here down to 22 is very confusing. I don't know if you noticed this when you read it before. There's a whole web of different themes and stories and knots kind of tied up in there. When I read that, it feels like the rare occasion where I try to do a cryptic crossword. Anyone here into cryptic crosswords? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look at it and you think, I know there is an answer in there somehow. I can see the clue and I can see the boxes and my brain just not, does not quite have the computing power to figure this out. That's how I feel reading these next few verses. But that's okay, because God is good and there are people who are much smarter than me who've done a lot of writing to figure this out. So let me try and summarise some of what they've said to help us. Peter's making this really clear point that when Christians suffer for doing good, we're being like Jesus, who achieved salvation by suffering for doing good. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Here's the main idea. Our present suffering and future glory is like that of Jesus in his suffering and glory. It's like a U-shape. Suffering and then glory. And that's the shape of the Christian life as well. Christ suffered, we suffer. Christ died, we die. Christ was raised in glory, we will be raised in glory. And that, that U-shape, that's the shape of our baptism as well. That's why he talks about baptism in here. We go down into the water, into death, 
and we rise to new life, united with Christ. It's a beautiful picture of our union with Jesus. And Peter uses it here to ram home the closeness of our connection with him. And the story of Noah has the same shape as well. That's why Noah is in here. Noah's story is one of suffering and then glory. Suffering as a faithful minority following God and then being rescued from God's great flood. This is how God changes us to be like Christ. This is the great trajectory of our lives, God's great purpose for us. Suffering for doing good as we participate with Christ and hope for our unperishing inheritance. And Peter's word for this is participating. It's a really strong connection. It's, it's stronger than copying, imitating. It's like being on a roller coaster next to Jesus. Everywhere he goes, we go. The same journey. When we suffer for doing good, we participate in the sufferings of Christ and we inherit his future glory. Just like Noah did. That's what you need to know from these cryptic verses at the end of our passage. Peter's picture here of the Christian life is is an inspiring but a very challenging picture, isn't it? It's a life that's future-oriented. It's a life of radically upside-down values, a life of looking beyond waves of suffering for Jesus' return. So we should ask, what does that life look like for you and for me? Well, I'm not entirely sure. There are ways that we suffer for doing good now, but it's likely to become more and more part of our Christian experience in Australia as the decades go by. So let me make three suggestions as we live a life of blessing and hope, suffering and glory. First, we can know that suffering for doing good, it isn't glamorous. For Jesus, suffering for doing good looked like being stripped naked in public, like blood and sweat and pain. For my friend, it looked like humiliation and suspicion and phone calls from lawyers. What might suffering for doing good look like for you in your mixed family or on your campus or in your office or your school? When there are opportunities for you to talk with your colleagues or your friends about Jesus, how willing are you to risk a little suffering and take that opportunity? When it feels like I might get shut down. People might think I'm weird. They might not ask my opinion next time. What do you do? Are you willing to take a risk and perhaps deal with a little measure of suffering for following Jesus? If you do take that risk and people don't respond well, that that sucks, right? That doesn't feel good. You don't feel like a hero. You, You feel embarrassed. You feel awkward feels uncomfortable or has the prospect of even that little bit of potential suffering brought you undone have you let opportunities pass you by for fear of a little suffering for following Jesus if you go to work or school or wherever you will go tomorrow morning and someone asks you about your weekend 
Will you even tell them that you went to church? Or is it, it's probably a bit of a strange thing to say and maybe just easier not to talk about it. What about when their follow-up question is about the church's position on same-sex marriage? When you feel your anxiety go up. When you know that what God sees as good and what this person sees as good are very different and your words start to stumble and you feel awkward. Would you be willing to suffer in just a little way for doing good? If if you don't, if you avoid those kind of moments, or if you lie, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. It's hard. But let me challenge you that it's only going to get harder. If you can't handle a little suffering now, how will you handle a lot of suffering later? Second, if you and I are going to suffer for doing good, if we're going to suffer for following Jesus, We need each other. If I am one day going to watch my child be ostracized for saying Jesus is Lord, I need you to be there telling me that it's worth it. If we're going to watch Australian society move further and further away from the values that we hold so dear as followers of Jesus and get pushed and pushed to the edge of society, we need each other there with us. How did our passage begin? Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. We need each other like Noah's family needed each other. We need each other like strangers in a foreign land. And finally, let's practice doing good now. Because, let's be honest, for you and me, in our everyday experience, suffering for doing good isn't a big part of our lives at the moment. You and I do not suffer persecution for doing good very much. We, we carry our cross, we make sacrifices to follow Jesus. Yeah, but doing so doesn't usually attract persecution. But one day it might. And the application for every day is to do good, so that when they persecute you for it, you will be well practiced to keep doing good. Risk embarrassment in evangelism now, so that you can risk abuse for evangelism later. Risk being called a bigot now, so that you can risk being called a criminal later. Let's learn how to give an answer for the hope that we have with real gentleness and respect now so that we can do it later when it's much harder. Be willing to stand out in your workplace today so that one day you would be willing to be kicked out of your workplace for doing good. Remember, following Jesus is life to the full. It's good life. It's the best life you can live. But that doesn't mean it's an easy life. It's a life which looks strange to the people around us. So let's look a bit strange together now so that we can look really strange together later. Let me pray that we would do that.
Jesus, it's a joy to participate with you in suffering for doing good. Give each of us in our lives today and every day the courage to do so. Bless us, give us hope, and strengthen us. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.